Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 39 of the Dason Digest podcast. I'm Travis Jones, a liaison clinical pharmacist with Dason, and this episode is being recorded on Friday, June 3rd. I'm excited for today's episode because we're reviewing an article that was recently published on a topic that I frequently discuss with my colleagues at Dason Community Hospitals. And that topic is how to optimize antibiotic therapy for patients during transitions of care, and more specifically upon hospital discharge. The title of the article we review in the episode is Pharmacist-Driven Transitions of Care Practice Model for Prescribing Oral Antimicrobials at Hospital Discharge. And it was published in JAMA Network Open on May 10th, 2022. So it's fresh off the press. The lead author of this article is Dr. Nicholas Mercuro, and he's a clinical pharmacist that practices at Henry Ford Health System in Detroit, Michigan. And as always, the article link will be included in the episode description in the app that you use to listen to this episode. And before I share details of the study, I think it's important to share why transitions of care, and particularly the transition at hospital discharge, is so important. In their article, the authors cite a study demonstrating that approximately 40% of the total duration of antibiotic therapy occurs after the patient is discharged. What that means is, if you capture a patient's total duration of antibiotic therapy, and it equals 10 days, then six days of therapy were given while the patient was hospitalized, and then the patient was prescribed an additional four days upon hospital discharge. And this finding was consistent with the study we conducted here at Duke University Hospital, as well as several days on community hospitals that was published in ITCHI. And in this study, we found that 38% of the total duration of antibiotic therapy occurred after hospital discharge. Ultimately, these two studies demonstrate that substantial opportunities exist upon hospital discharge and we should be encouraged to optimize therapy before discharge so that we reduce unnecessary harms related to antibiotic exposure, perhaps most notably C. difficile infection. So let's dive into the study. As I mentioned before, it was published just a few weeks ago in JAMA Network Open, and the purpose of the study was threefold. First, to implement a pharmacist-led multidisciplinary review of discharge planning for oral antibiotic therapy. Second, to quantify inappropriate antibiotic prescribing at the time of discharge, and third, to evaluate the association of this intervention with optimized antibiotic therapy, infection-related readmissions, and antibiotic-associated harms. This study was a quality improvement study, and it used a, it, and it used a non-randomized stepped wedge design to evaluate stewardship interventions occurring at hospital discharge for select uncomplicated infections. The study period was from September 1st, 2018 to the end of August, 2019 at five hospitals in Michigan. One hospital was a large 877 bed academic medical center, but the four other hospitals looked more similar to our Dason community hospitals, ranging in bed size from 191 to 475 beds. One key difference though, is that each hospital had at least a partial FTE or full-time equivalent for an antibiotic stewardship pharmacist between 0.8 to 1.0 FTEs. And each, also, and each hospital also had dedicated physician support ranging from 0.2 to 0.8 FTEs. 
So here's where the stepped wedge design comes into play. Basically, they staged their intervention rollout in a non-randomized fashion in three phases in 17 distinct units or service teams across the five hospitals. They used this approach for feasibility of implementing a new standard of care, focusing on patient volume, availability of resources, and clinical pharmacist training. And regarding pharmacist training, each pharmacist involved in the intervention were trained in mandatory competency sessions to optimally manage workflow and operational components for antibiotic order entry at the time of discharge. So after training, how did the pharmacist identify patients that might need intervention? Well, it varied from hospital to hospital, as you would suspect, but a few examples included an alert of discharge readiness within the electronic health record, daily discussions on rounds with the treating team, and lastly, direct communication from either nurses or case management. And these are just a few examples. So the pharmacist performing these interventions would recommend therapy adjustment based on protocolized antimicrobial regimens, which are available in the supplementary appendix if you'd like to take a look. After the plan was discussed, the pharmacist would place new orders or adjust existing orders for discharge antibiotics to be co-signed by the treating physician. And after this step, the pharmacist would document details of therapy, including the agent, indication, dose, and duration of therapy, as well as document whether the physician adhered to the recommendation or the protocol that they used. So now that we know more about the logistics of the study, let's talk about the study population and infection types. Patients included for intervention were adults admitted to medical and or surgical wards that could be discharged with oral antibiotics. Patients that were pregnant, discharged on IV antibiotics or diagnosed with cystic fibrosis, endovascular infections, CNS infections, osteomyelitis or febrile neutropenia were excluded as you would suspect because those infection types don't really uh, qualify to be treated with oral antimicrobials. The diagnoses of interest for this study were pulmonary infections, such as community-acquired pneumonia or COPD exacerbation, urinary tract infections, uh, skin and skin structure infections, and intra-abdominal infections that had adequate source control. These infection types were picked be due to the fact that they have well-studied and established guidelines for duration of therapy. Since interventions were performed on all patients meeting these criteria, the authors couldn't capture data on every single patient, but what they did instead was they evaluated 25 patients per month in each group by randomly sorting and screening patients that were discharged with oral antibiotics from their local data repository. Group one consisted of units at an academic medical center. Group two included both academic and community hospital units and group three included only community hospital units, so patients into those three groups. These groups were created as part of the step, step wedge study design and feasibility of intervention rollout. So the primary endpoint evaluated in the study was the frequency of discharge with an optimized antibiotic regimen, determined by review of medical records, prescriptions, um, and the discharge summary. The health system guidelines were used to assess appropriateness of the antibiotic agent, dose, and duration. And they also looked at hospital length of stay and antibiotic days of therapy. Um, these were captured and assessed as resource use outcomes. Safety endpoints included antibiotic-related adverse drug events, 30-day unplanned hospital and or emergency department visits, 
30-day readmissions, and 30- and 90-day mortality. Antibiotic adverse effects or adverse events were categorized based on severity, and two other endpoints evaluated were the development of C. difficile infection and isolation of a new multidrug resistant organism. Clinical resolution was defined as the resolution of signs and symptoms such that no further antibiotic therapy was required after completing the planned therapy for the same indication, and that was assessed at 30 days as well. So now let's move on to the results. Ultimately, 1,440 patients were screened and 800 were included. There were 400 patients included in the pre-intervention period and 400 in the post-intervention period. Patients were most often excluded for severe infection, solid organ transplantation or neutropenia, or transfer to or from an outside hospital or hospice. Taking a look at the baseline characteristics, 55.1% were female, the median age was 66.8 years, and the median BMI or uh, body mass index was 29.9. The median hospital length of stay for these patients was about three days, and a little over half were, were admitted to the academic medical center as compared with the community hospitals. And the majority, a little over 84%, were discharged to home. Regarding comorbid conditions, severity of illness, or risk factor for multi-drug resistant organisms, there were no differences between groups. Throughout the study period, 1,500 interventions were made and the overall protocol adherence rate was around 63%. The most common diagnoses were pneumonia at just um, over one third, upper respiratory tract infection or COPD exacerbation right at 27%, urinary tract infection a little over 25% and skin and skin structure infections at 15.6%. The primary endpoint, which was optimal antibiotic prescribing at discharge, increased from 36% in the pre-intervention period to 81.5% in the post-intervention period. This increase in optimal prescribing was consistent in both the academic hospital and community hospitals, 37.4 versus 43.2% respectively. Note here that there was a higher increase in optimal prescribing in the community hospital setting which is nice to see since those hospitals are similar to the Dason hospitals. So regarding optimal prescribing, the major changes seen from pre to post intervention were reductions in prolonged durations of therapy by about 35%, selection of the most appropriate agent and treatment of asymptomatic bacteriuria. Overall, this intervention reduced the average duration of therapy in the post intervention group by approximately 1.1 days. In addition to changes in antibiotic prescribing rates and durations, there was a reduction in adverse drug events, including a reduction in C. difficile infection and new multidrug resistant organism or MDRO colonization. While it wasn't statistically significant, there was a substantial numeric reduction in infection related 30 day readmissions with 33 or 8.3% occurring in the pre-group and 21 or 5.3% occurring in the post group. In the discussion section, the authors make several statements that I completely agree with. First, that pharmacists are crucial team members. That's obvious and that's a given. Uh, but on a more serious note, they really highlight the importance of education that they provided to their pharmacists prior to uh, the intervention. And as with any stewardship intervention, I agree that education is critical. And in the case of this study, it started with developing health system-wide consensus guidelines by multidisciplinary teams. 
that provided recommendations for the most appropriate agent and duration for the disease states of interest. And I know that the other liaisons and I have implemented guidelines or order sets within our hospitals. And we've all had the experience that multidisciplinary involvement from the beginning in their development is critical to their uptake once they're quote unquote live. The authors also shed light on resources required to sustain an intervention like this one. They noted that on average, one to three patients were discharged with prescription for oral antibiotics each day from any given service line or team. To me, that seems like a manageable number, but the staffing characteristics vary widely from hospital to hospital. And in hospitals with multiple service lines or teams, that number could obviously add up pretty quickly and become unsustainable. I suspect it would also go up on Fridays or before holidays. I could also imagine that some particularly expensive antibiotics that might require pre-authorization could cause some extra work for the pharmacy team if all of those details weren't ironed out prior to hospital discharge. So looking at the study as a whole, the authors conclude that this study demonstrated that an antibiotic stewardship intervention at hospital di discharge can optimize antibiotic prescribing and was generally sustainable. So let's take a moment to think through and discuss some of the barriers to implementing stewardship at hospital discharge in the community hospital setting. I think a few barriers that exist are quite obvious, and one is just staffing or resources in general. Another might be measuring the impact of your work. And what I mean by when I say that is that um, if additional staffing would be required to sustain an intervention like this, how would we demonstrate uh, that it was needed uh, to hospital leadership? In a formal setting like this study, they had team members that would track outcomes, such as infection-related hospital readmissions. Tracking an outcome like this would be a bit more difficult for the pharmacy team without additional support. This study also afforded the study authors the ability to capture antibiotic days of therapy prescribed at discharge. And so unless pharmacists performing this intervention in, in, in community hospitals manually track these data, it would be difficult to capture. All that said, Dason is continually working on development and we have, for quite a while, had an interest in further developing the ability to capture antibiotic prescribing at hospital discharge, but we're not quite there yet. Hopefully in the future, we'll be able to make some progress. A few other barriers in the community hospital setting might not be so obvious. And the first one that comes to my mind is, how do we actually capture these patients so that we can perform an intervention at discharge? How do we know when a patient will be discharged? And I think the solution varies widely from hospital to hospital. And the authors of this study discussed this topic briefly, noting that it might involve strengthening relationships between pharmacy and the primary team or hospitalist caring for the patient collaborating with caseworkers, or even developing some way to automatically be alerted through the electronic health record that a patient is about to be discharged. I think all of these strategies could be considered. And I believe that implementing stewardship at hospital discharge might take a little trial and error in order to find the right balance at a single hospital. But ultimately, I do think it would be doable if we approached it in a thoughtful um, and multidisciplinary uh, approach. So in closing, uh, I think this was a great study to review with everyone, um, and I want to thank you all for listening today. I also wanted to encourage all of the team members at our Dason hospitals to reach out to your liaison if you're interested in pursuing a stewardship uh, intervention such as this one that happened at hospital discharge. I know we would all be glad to help. Thanks again, everyone, for listening to episode 39 of the Dason Digest. 
As I mentioned earlier, the article reviewed in this episode will be linked in the episode notes. And stay tuned for our next episode, which we publish every other Friday. Our next planned episode will be released on Friday, June 17th. And until next time, take care. 